This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everybody. Well, uh, we're going to be doing, hopefully, this is going to be the final class of uh, in this series on, on self-esteem. So this is part three on self-esteem. I strongly recommend it is a continuation. So if you came in closer here, just, you know, you could always uh, um, catch up online on TorahAnytime.com. The... Um, well, we're going to, we're going to, we, last week when we, or actually two weeks ago when we, we said the last class, we sort of started five reasons that they have low self-esteem. So we're going to review that, sort of give a quick recap. The way that we're going to present tonight the, the, the material, it's going to be, first of all, we're going to do signs of low self-esteem. Then we're going to do how to increase your self-esteem. Well, today is a very, very practical class. So, um, and, and then finally, we're going to end off with your children, increasing your children's self-esteem, which is extremely important. And it's not only your children, it could be also somebody else. It could be a friend or, uh, you know, spouse or relative, whatever it is. So uh, we'll start off with signs that somebody has low self-esteem. Now, I have to give this warning just because if I'm going to give a bunch of, of signs and you're going to be like, you know what, I have, I have for sure low self-esteem. It doesn't mean that necessarily the things that I'm going to tell you that you automatically have low self-esteem. It's possible. It might be likely, but it doesn't mean for sure. There are many things over here that there's multiple reasons. The same reason... When someone goes on, on online and they search WebMD and they see that they have a headache and it says, oh, you know, possible tumor. Be like, that's it, you know, time to sell all possessions, give everything. You probably should give everything to charity in any case. But you, you think that's it, it's over, it's done. So, so don't take it in, in that aspect. But at the same time, even if somebody does have a high self-esteem, it's still important to learn that you can improve and you can increase your self-esteem as it, it is extremely important for Avodat Hashem. Now, we'll go through 11 signs that you have low self-esteem. So number one is if you always seek to be validated by others, right? This is somebody who's going, and we spoke, some of these things you'll see sort of a recap of where spoke, spoke about the past two classes, is, you know, somebody's going and, and they want to buy, uh, you know, a dress, a shoes, a suit, whatever it is, and, but they're not sure. So they ask, they have a WhatsApp group of like 60 of their closest friends, but you're a girl, so it should be 256 of your closest friends, and they post it online, and they see how many likes I get. Oh, you like it, you like it, you like it? Okay, then I'm going to buy it. Really, what it should be is if you like it, and you enjoy it, and it's, everything is okay according to the halakha, the, then you buy it. That why when people have to go and for men, men you know they go and they they like to buy, they want to buy a suit, they want to buy a new pair of shoes. They they post on Facebook how many likes I get, depending if I'm going to buy it or not. Should I get this? Should I not? Seventy five comments. People love to give opinions. By the way, you ever see that? You go over there it's like, oh, what do you think? What do you guys think about this? The most comments you'll get ever when when you ask for somebody else's opinion. So number one, when you seek that, when you see that you need to be validated by others, that is a sign, a possible sign of low self esteem. Number two is that somebody who feels incapable. Which means is that they feel like they can't accomplish anything. They're like whatever, there's no even point of even trying. Uh, you know, and, and they don't, and they don't even try for things that they want, things that they should get. The, number three is somebody who feels unloved. Uh, you know, there are people that that you know when somebody likes them, they they get very concerned. They're like, why do you like me? What's wrong with you that you like me? Because I'm such a sick and twisted, you know, like worth nothing. That why do you even like me? So that's number three. Number four is people that negative talk to themselves. Be like, oh, you'll never be able to accomplish this. You'll never be able to do that. You'll never be able to fit in the dress. You'll never be able to do whatever it is, uh, you know, that, that, that they want. They always self-talk about it. Now, there's something that is called a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you go and you say you'll never, then you probably won't. If you say I will, then you probably could. If you say I could, then you probably will. So... The idea with this is, is this is, this is so important when I speak to people that are, you know, coming, starting to keep Shabbat, or they're starting to, you know, become a little bit more religious, uh, they just say, listen, I can't, I can't keep Shabbat. It's too hard. I, I got too much stuff to do. I, it's not possible. I said, yeah, with that attitude, you're right. It's not going to be possible. If you really want it, you'll be able to do it. If you really want to sit and learn to walk all day, you'll be able to do it. If you really want to be modest, you'll be able to do it. The fact is, is really you don't want it so much. But the fact, the first step that you need to do is say, I could do it. When you say that I could do it, then already you have, uh, you know, you have a chance of success. And number five, which is the last thing we spoke about the last uh, in last class, was uh, the people that are unable to ha- handle failure. So anything that bad that happens, they they are like, okay, that's it, I'm a failure. There's no point of even trying anymore, and they stop trying. And we, last class we gave like I don't know maybe like ten examples of like very successful people anywhere going from like Dyson to you know to Thomas Ed- Thomas Edison. Uh, who, you know we went through a bunch of people that were very successful, all had amazing like terrible terrible failures in their life, and only afterwards they became successful. So here's, okay, so now that's the recap. Now let's go on to, to moving on to, uh, to, to more signs that you may or 
might possibly have a low self-esteem. Number six is somebody who has a lack of motivation. So, by the way, the, where did I get this from? I should probably tell you where I, where I picked this list up from. So, this is a combination of current, you know, um, psychology nowadays as in, in collaboration with the Torah. Actually, I should rephrase that. It's the Torah in collaboration with science. So, this is, uh, this is sort of plugged in uh, together. The, if somebody feels always lack, lack of motivation, it's also a sign that they feel like, you know, again, the same idea, they can't accomplish anything. Number seven is people that blame others instead of taking responsibility. This is, is a sign, not only is it a sign of low self-esteem, we also said it's also a sign of people who have a lot of pride. When the second that something bad goes wrong, you'd be like, oh, you know what? And you go blame to the nearest person near you. Usually it's a spouse in, in, in these situations. Number eight is somebody who is, uh, have, have a feeling in life that they're just not going anywhere. They're very unhappy. They feel like that's it. They're stuck where they are and uh, they can't, they can't, you know, they can't, they can't, they can't, they can't do anything. And it's very unfortunate that this happens in marriage, actually pretty often, where, you know, the, either from the woman's side or from the man's side, they'll say like, you know, I married the wrong guy. I like, what am I supposed to do? I have a child and, you know, I don't love him or I don't love her anymore. I don't know, you know, and they feel like they're stuck. And the problem with this is, is that number one is all they do is they wallow in their misery. They don't work on fixing anything. They don't work on changing anything. The idea is, is when these things happen, and we're going to soon see, uh, you know, on the way to boost yourself, the self-esteem is to work on these issues, to work on it and realize where the problem went wrong and, and try to fix it. And no, oh, number nine, this is important, a perfectionist. There's nobody more upset and, and dissatisfied as a perfectionist. You ever realize, try going to a photography shoot with a perfectionist. You'll be there for like 17 hours. The lighting is not good, and this is not good, and this is not good, and this is not good. And they'll do it again and again and again. And so much so, they'll be like, you know what? Forget it already. I know, I know people that are not, they don't do things, they don't do things that they enjoy because they know that they're a perfectionist and they're never, it's just too, too, too much anxiety on how to, how to accomplish. And with that, you, you won't, you, you know, there's a certain point in time that you tried so much and say, okay, move on. It's good enough. For other people, it's like, no, it's not good enough. You really have to do it. Try more. But the, the idea, this also works in, in relationships, and more in dating, in the dating aspect. There are people that, um, the, the terminology is called burnt out. But in reality, what it really is, is that, is that uh, it could either be from somebody, let's say, who, who dated somebody for a really long time, and they really got hurt from that person. And now they feel like, you know what? I can't, they, they sort of lock it in, they lock it up, and they can't go and they can't, uh, you know, go out again and, and basically open themselves up to other people again because they feel like they're just going to get hurt again. They feel like the, it's just going to be a whole problem again. So uh, this is the, the same idea where, where they stop trying. And once you stop trying, it's just downhill from that, right? We, which we said this many times before, you only fail when you stop trying. If you, if, even if you didn't, even if you didn't succeed yet, but if you keep on trying, you keep on trying, you will, that's, you will most likely succeed, but that's one thing for sure is that you didn't fail yet. Number 10. Number 10 is, uh, the feelingless of, of like hopelessness or depression. Uh, this is, this is a very, very common, very uncommon, unfortunately. Uh, I get questions all the time regarding these things, um, like from, from every aspect, from the most prestigious people to like the people that, you know, don't keep to allowing or anything like that. But it's a very, very big problem nowadays, depression. Depression, and depression leads to self, to, to hopelessness, uh, lack of motivation, and puts, Everything else into consideration. Now, one reason why some people may be depressed is due to a lack of self-esteem. Now, everything is like sort of like a spiral. So once you have like one issue, it just sort of like accumulates and you're like, yeah, let's collect everything. Okay. And the last and final thing, uh, it, uh, the 11th reason or possible cause of low self-esteem, uh, or signs, I should say, is somebody who cannot handle criticism. This is, this is a, a very, very bad trait. People see criticism, people have a low self-esteem or pride. They see criticism as, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of, uh, it's an attack on them. You're, you're attacking them. But it really, what a person should think about it, this is a free consultation, you know, free therapy. Yeah, what's wrong with me? Tell me. Yeah, that's how a person should see it. Uh, unless it's somebody who's like, you know, this angry person who just keeps on screaming at you nonstop. It's not right. It's not, it's not the therapist who tells you. It, it, even if it's not the therapist, there's one thing that's very important, that if somebody goes and criticizes you, the problem is that we usually take into consideration that that person is criticizing me. But when we have to really understand it's not coming from that person. And the therapist is not coming from that. It's all coming from God. They are the the, the, the shliach. They're the messengers. When you look at it like that, you'd be like, okay, you know, this person is screaming at me, this person is doing this, why is they doing it? Maybe there's something that I should change. Maybe there is something I change. On the other hand, then you have these abusive people that just, you know, that, that those are the people that you have to, we'll soon speak about, that you have to run away from.
I run away. You have to, you know, stay away from them. Okay, so those are the signs. Uh, I know it went a little bit quick, so we'll go a little bit. That's I wanted to rush through the signs of, uh, you know, where, where you might have uh, some low self-esteem or possible low self-esteem. Okay, so now let's speak about how do you, do you increase the self-esteem. It says in the Gemara, in uh, Erochim, page 16b, it says, Rebuke a fuel, a fool, and he will hate you. Rebuke a wise person, and he will love you. And this is also based off the, the Pasuk in Mishlei, in Proverbs, chapter 9, verse 8. It says, you, you rebuke a wise person, he's going to love you. Which means is, the, the, the people that are smart, the people that have wisdom, when they get criticized, when they get rebuked, they're like, thank you, I appreciate that, I want to become a better person. They don't take it as, a, as an attack on themselves personally, but they'll take this as, okay, an opportunity. Thank you for letting me know what I need to do and what I need to accomplish. So now, what are, I'm going to give you 20 different ways to increase self-esteem. Some of them are going to be overlapping, but we're going to, you know, classify them as, as separate. Which you'll probably soon see why. Uh, number one is, the first thing with anything, anything that you do in life is you realize if you want to accomplish it, you have to realize that you want to accomplish it. So you want to, you want to increase your self-esteem, you have to realize that you, you, you want to increase your self-esteem, you want to grow. A person want, uh, let's, let's use the, the idea of losing weight. If a person wants to lose weight, the first thing they have to do is like, okay, I'm going to lose weight. They can't go and be like, okay, you know, I'm going to lose weight and they forget about it and they don't think about it. The first step is knowing that you, what, what your goal is. And your goal is to increase the self-esteem, so let's see how you can do it. So the number two is connecting to God. Being connected to Hashem is such a strong, such a strong boost of, of self-esteem. There was once there was a, a rabbi, a mayor of Parmesan. He was once uh, walk. He was an older man. He was, a, he was a, as a rabbi. He was walking with his students, and he's walking up this really icy, steep mountain. And he was walking without any, like you know, he was you know he's got his cane, and he was able to walk without slipping. With, and all the, the little guy, you know the students were like slipping and falling. At the end of the got to the mountain, he said, Rabbi, how did you how do you stay you know on your two feet the whole time? So he said he said if a man is connected on high. He doesn't fall below, even though that's meant in a more, you know, spiritual aspect. But he even took that, no, into a physical aspect. He says, ah, I got God holding on to me. You know, there was once, uh, um, I, 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 this just popped into my head. I'll say there was once a story of something that, you know, the Nazis were like cruel and sadistic and they did like crazy stuff just for their entertainment. So they, they made like this sort of pit and they told the people, it says, if you go and you jump over the pit, then you will survive. If you fall in a pit, then you get shot. You know, that was the, the entertainment, sort of like a gladiator, if you may. So, uh, the, the, a few people went, jumped, and they didn't make it. There was one person that was, that was elderly, and he was standing over there, and people were laughing, like, why are you even jumping? Just, just slide right in. Just don't even bother jumping. There's no way that you're going to make the, the jump. And he's like, no. He's like, I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna make it. And he convinces himself that he's gonna make it, and then he offers, he asks a little prayer, and he says, listen, God, I'm gonna jump, you do the rest. And he goes, and he jumps, and somehow, he, like, you know, like, some people, you know, you jump, it's like in a video game, and they just, like, sort of glide, like, they fly. <laughs> he somehow made it. He made it to the other side. So you asked him afterwards, the people that saw it, they're like, how is it possible? And he says, I have no idea. He says, I ran, I closed my eyes, I jumped, and, I, you know, I landed on the other side. He says, God picked me up and put me down on the other side. The people that know that they were able to do it, then were able to try, at least get close to accomplish it. The people that said, you know what, there's no way, they're, they're not going to make it. They're going to go straight falling down. So this is also, you know, it's it's very imperative that, uh, you know, before, one of the things that a person is supposed to do is before they go to sleep, they're supposed to make a chajman and nefesh. A chajman and nefesh means like, you think about what happened that day, right? People usually, uh, when they go to sleep, before they go to sleep, they either think about their worries or their fantasies. Like whatever they, you know, like, you know, for, so for men, they're fighting crime and who knows what they're doing, you know? And I don't know what, what the idea is for, for girls, but, but they're, they're, they're just like, you know, they space out till they fall asleep. But the idea is when you lay down in your bed, think about, okay, what did I do today? What did I accomplish? And you could use this as actually a boost to your self-esteem. Be like, wow, look at that. You know, I prayed today very, with a kavanah, I dabbed, I did this, I did this. I did. Yeah, and you, you, you look what you did. And at the same time, you look, okay, tomorrow I could do this a little better. By, just by doing that, that's already increasing your self-esteem. That's me, okay, I'm moving somewhere in life. Once you're moving somewhere in life, that gives you a boost to your, to your self-image and self-esteem. Now, people think, okay, I don't have time. I don't have time to sit and create a list. I, you know, I, who has time for these things? So there was once a woodcutter, and he was cutting wood, and he had a lot of wood to cut. And somebody was walking past by, and he sees this, you know, it, the, the axe was very dull. It wasn't sharp at all. So he tells him, he says, listen, why don't you take like a half hour off your cutting schedule and sharpen your axe? So the guy, the woodcutter says, are you kidding me? He says, look how much wood I have to cut. Am I going to stop my time to sharpen the axe? 
Meanwhile, he's a fool. If he sharpens his axe, his, his, first of all, he's going to be able to be so much more productive, so much more efficient, and he'll be able to cut so much more wood in less period of time. But people think, okay, you know, I don't have so much time to write a list. People don't realize that you'll be able to accomplish so much more in your life if you sort of put everything in perspective. And this is what I tell people also when they're, when they're dating. Uh, this question I get very often is, is how do I know? How do I know it's the right person? And there's a lot of time, I don't know, I, the, the plan is at some point in time to do a dating series. But, you know, how do you know, how, how do you know that it's supposed to, that that time is Hashem, everyone's going to be married, so it's not going to be a need for it. The, um, the, the, how, you know, one of the things, the question that's constantly asked, how do I know it's the right person? So the, the, the thing that I tell everybody, and I'll say it again and again, is it has to be right over here. That's where number one has to be, in the brain. It has to make sense in the brain. And I literally say, make a list. Don't, don't show it to the other person, you know, please rip it up. Be like, you know, the pros and cons. You know, you make the list, and you see if it makes sense. After that, the mind is checked off, then you go to the heart. There's emo- is there emotions there? Sometimes everything works on paper, but there's no emotional connection. And step number three is, you know, I tell it for the guys, but it's the downstairs neighbor that has to be, you know, in, in collaboration also, if, if you catch my joke. So now the, the, the idea is, usually men work the other way around. Alright, uh, whoever's following at that point. So, so, uh, the, the idea is, the idea is, is that a person, if, if you put everything down on paper, if you put, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be physically written down, but if you think about these things, then you will be able to, to see in a, in a, in a much better light, in a different perspective. So, the number, where are we? We're up to number three. Now, uh, number three, this is from Rabbi Avram Tversky. He says that the person has to appreciate that he has a purpose in life. When you realize that you have a purpose, if someone's living a life without a purpose, it, it, there's nothing more depressing than that. You know, imagine like you have to, you know, all day, you have to just, just push a wheel around. And, you know, there are people in the prisons that used to have to do that. They would have to push a wheel around. And they, they always used to think, okay, like, what's going on on the other side of the, the wall? What are they, what's going on? He said, are we like powering a city of like, for electricity? Like, what's going on? And, uh, you know, for like 20 years, they're pushing, they're just required to push a wheel around. Afterwards, when they finally get out, and they finally, you know, go out, and they see, and they want to look at, they got out of prison, they look around to see what was tied to the under, and they see it was nothing. They were just pushing a wheel for nothing for, tw- for 20 years. There's nothing more depressing than thinking about, okay, the last 20 years of my life, I just did nothing. I just actually just pushed a wheel around, like a hamster, just running on a, on a, on, you know, on, a, on that wheel. So, this is what it says also in Tehillim, in chapter 19, verse 9, it says, The orders, the, the laws of a Kaddish Baruch the laws of the Torah, cause a person to rejoice, to be happy. You know, it gives you a self of purpose. You're, 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 you're accomplishing a life. Even if somebody's stuck home all day, they have a self of purpose. They, you know, they're praying. They're doing, they're, they're learning. They're saying, Bachot. They're accomplishing in life. When you think like that, then you, once you're accomplishing, you already feel better about yourself. You already have a higher self-esteem, a higher self-image. Now, this is, this is the beauty of Torah, where you could actually, a person could sit at home, for let's say for a man aspect, and sit at home, not leave the house all day, and feel so accomplished at the end of the day. Feel so accomplished, feel that he just, you know, saved the world. And most likely he actually did. Number four is to do the right thing. Now this, even though, you know, it sounds right, but it actually feels right also. If you go, uh, here's an example, that if let's say somebody is, um, you, you know, you find that somebody drops a $100 bill off the floor, and you see it fall out, and you're like, you know, you're really eyeing something you really wanted to buy, and you're like, you know what, it's too expensive, and you see this $100 bill, and be like, this is perfect. And then you think for a second, you know, like, I feel like you know, you saw who it dropped, and you know, no, fine, forget it. You go, you run, and you chase that person, and you give back the money. Now, you lost that, that purchase that you wanted to make, but that feeling of like, you know what, I just, I did something good. I did, I mean, that is an amazing feeling. I'll tell you even like, even more like this. You see a homeless guy in the street, give him two quarters, give him a dollar. See how you feel afterwards, right? You're like, oh, I'm an amazing person, you know? It's all of a sudden, it boosts your self-esteem, whether you like it or not. It's sort of like, you know, like, yeah, I'm, you know, pretty darn good person. Look at me, giving quarters out to homeless people. <laughs> Don't give the ones that says need to buy weed. You know, those ones skip over. So, but there's actually an interesting question that people I get asked all the time. Can I give, you know, tzedakah to, to like non-Jewish uh, homeless people on the, on the street? So number one is, first of all, you should obviously give tzedakah first to your brothers and, you know, and your sisters, which are the Jews. But let's say you're walking in the street and there's a homeless guy that's sitting over there says, I need ch- spirit change. And it's a big, a big kiddush Hashem where you see someone with a kippah or someone who's mad and he knows that you're Jewish, you're giving charity. Be like, you know what, these guys are good. You know, they don't always, always like to keep their own money. You know, there was once a the comedian that, that said, you know, how he pictured uh, Moses. You know, Moses, how, how do the non-Jews look at Moses? He's running down the mountain, but instead of, from, from God, but instead of holding two tablets, he's holding two bags of money. You know, with a hook nose, and he's running down like, hey, you know, good, look guys, we got money. You know, the, don't, the non-Jews look at it that, that as, as the Jews, all they care about money. When they see that, oh, look, they're giving tzakah, they're giving charity, they'd be like, you know, these people are actually pretty good. Because their own kind doesn't actually give them. The, and, and in fact, I've seen it. You go on the train, even though they say that you're not supposed to give these people, but the people that actually give tzedakah are usually the ones that are Jewish. 
there's there could be some African American guy, you know, he starts rapping about his, you know, childhood, you know, how he's he's got beaten, he's got lost, you know, his his parents, you know, almost killed him, and then they died, and then he, you know, and then he went to an orphanage, you know, the whole story from from every movie he ever saw, and then you know he's going around. And nobody's giving anything. Then you see a few people with kippah take out money and actually give it to them. I've seen that. It's a, it's a, it's it's like it's such a kiddush Hashem. Now, not saying that you should go. Obviously, the bulk of your money should actually go to the Jewish causes. Don't go and start donating to Red Cross or you know. There's there's plenty of Jewish causes that need need your money. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, let's say on the subway they always say um, you shouldn't give money to people just for kindness because it ruins the whole system. But just like being what do you a mean Jew, the system, like the, the, the the law is you're not supposed to. They 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 say do not give people charity on the on like, the. It's against the law. Yeah. What? Yeah. I don't think you're gonna get it. You just give charity. So you're coming <laughs> no, with us. <laughs> you know, I don't think you get the. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, In general, uh, you're basically, you're working against the MTA, whatever. Right. It's like but, feeding the pigeons, you're not supposed to give them food. Yeah, but like, mm-hmm. he cares for whatever it is. But just as a Jew, I know the people look after us and they're like, oh, the Jew didn't do that, you know? But like, if it's not legal. Yeah, so if it's not legal, you're not supposed to, you know, don't, you don't break the law. I just use that as an example because that's what, you know, I see. But let's, a better example would be in the park where you could, you know, give, uh, you know, people, or in the street. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's 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 very unfortunate. These people have, you know, they fell in life, and they there are, they, you know, and they also need help. You know, just because they're non-Jews doesn't mean that they're not people. And you know, that you know, we still we still have an obligation to take care of them. Granted, you have your non-family members and you have family members. You rather take care of your family first. And there's so many Jews that need you need help. But giving a quarter is not like you know. There are many people, you know, when it comes to charity, and they're like somebody comes and collects them, they start asking them a million questions. So where, which yeshiva are you from? What are you doing? And they ask you, and after like 10 minutes of asking questions, they give a dollar. You're asking those type of questions, that means you're giving a big check. For giving a dollar, a person's not required, because the Torah says you have to check a person. You have to check a person before, so you don't just give your, your money to some uh, scam artist, or if you know that this person is a, if someone comes over to you and be like, hey listen, you got some charity? You know, I need, you didn't get, I didn't, I didn't get my dose, I mean my, 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 my meal today. You know, he starts starting, he starts scratching all over, it signs that he's a drug addict, and uh, then you obviously be like, no, you know, I don't, I don't have, cause you're not feeding into his drug problem. She really hurt, I actually scratched myself. <laughs> so, so, uh, you, you don't do that, cause it's, you're not feeding to, but if it's a regular person, that needs that you don't have to start questioning for a quarter. They're like, okay, I'm going to give you this, but tell me, what are you going to use it for? You know, you don't have to, you know, that, that you're just making them feel like, and I've seen people do that, and, and it's sort of like, the guy is already humiliated enough. He's coming to you for money. Well, you're going to, now he has to explain to you what he's going to do with a quarter that you give him. He's going to feed somebody else's meter. What do you think he's going to do with it? So, okay, so now the, uh, where are we? Uh, number five. By the way, before we go to number five, number four, like, we're doing the right, we said doing the right thing makes an increase of your self-esteem. This, if, if you're not able to do chesed, doesn't mean that it's going in there before you take a drink, make a bacha. Make a bacha, you just did the right thing. Think of yourself and, and appreciate that. Be like, well, you know, that was a pretty good bacha. That's pretty awesome. So, by doing that, you actually go and you boost your self-esteem. Obviously, you have to be careful. We're going to see where it goes to like, you know, like pride, where it's, it's to be like, you know, I'm the best bracha maker ever! You know, you know, like, you know, and your husband like, well, it's like, yeah, is everything okay? It's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so anyway, so, but, but uh, the same idea is appreciate the good things that happen. Appreciate the good things that you do. You learn, you could grow from that. Number five is emunah. The greater the emunah you have, the higher, the higher in confidence that you got you have, the greater self-esteem that you have. You will be able to accomplish so much more. Number six is, oh, this is very important, helping others. Helping others really the similar as doing, doing the right thing. But uh, um, if a person has, if a person realizes that that he's a good person, he feels a worth of. If a person realizes that they're not a good person, then it, it shoots them down. I, I've had people tell me, "Yeah, I'm not a good person," and, and I'm like, "I'm like, that's so terrible. Wow, you know, like, what do you murder somebody? Like, what do you mean?" And they, and they consider themselves not good people. For, for like silly reasons. And the, we said before, that we said in Pirkei Avot, you're not, you're not allowed to be, consider yourself a wicked person because once you do that, you'll just end up doing a lot more sense. A person has to think of himself as a righteous person, as at least a, at least a good person, and then that's going to help you uh, help you overcome and not sin. And not, if a person just thinks he's a wicked person, be like, okay, I'm a wicked person, might as well do all the sins. Now, the, uh, the idea is, is, is also, and I'll tell you how, how a person feels good when they do the right thing. Imagine somebody is fascinated and loves cruises. Like every year they go on two cruises. There we go. So, but this, oh really? <laughs> Hope he enjoys it. So, but let's say, not your father, because it's not gonna have such a happy ending. So somebody else is, is, uh, you know, has, loves cruises, and every year, twice a year, they go on a cruise, like by hook or by hook. And they do, you know, the seven day cruise, the three day cruise, you know, they do all the whole, the whole spiel. And then they hear 
at this crazy cruise. It's gonna be a cruise around the world. It's like a two month cruise, and he's like, well, you know, that's a, I, you know, like I really want to do that. That is amazing. And then he's like thinking, you know, it's like, you know, okay, so that's a lot of money. I, you know, I usually do just two. So he starts saving. He doesn't go on a cruise for two years to save up for this big cruise. And he saves it up, and finally he's like, it's awesome, he's so excited. He goes on a cruise, and it's like, you know, magnificent, it's the best cruise ship he ever seen. And he gets it, he settles in, and uh, the, the, the cruise ship lifts the, leaves the dock. And he's sitting there, the first day, the first day, it's coming close to the sunset, and they're cruising, you know, well, you know, I don't know how far they cruise, let's say they've been cruising for 10 hours, so far enough that he's far, very far from land. And uh, they, he's going, and they see, like, you know, there's a couple there with a baby, and they said, listen, can you take our picture? So he's like, yeah, for sure, not a problem. You go over there, and uh, you take the picture. They stand by the rails, and you take a picture. Meanwhile, babies are babies. And the baby was, like, you know, playing with something. Uh, they saw a rail over there. The, you know, the mother and the father are smiling. And meanwhile, the baby grabs something and just push, pushes himself and falls right over the, over the cruise ship. And now the cruise ship is very, very high. Those things, I don't know, I'm assuming 100 feet is until the thing. And everybody just freezes. The, the wife starts screaming. The husband... Just, just faints. He just like, is like, passes out. And you're sitting there with the camera, and you're like in shock. You're like, and you're trying to call for help, and no, you know, people aren't coming. And meanwhile, you run over to see, you see the baby, you see the baby's like, you know, scrub, and you're like, what am I supposed to do? It's, it's like a hundred feet. What are we supposed to do? There's no rope, there's no other thing. And you think you're very, and you, you see the baby suddenly start the, you know, the water start to settle, and the baby start going. You don't stop, and you stop, and you jump over. You jump over. Now, as people that are not professional di- divers, uh, I wouldn't recommend jumping at 100 feet. It's not, or 200 feet, however high these cruise ships are. You, you know, so you jump and you're like, you, you, you're like, you, you jump and, and I don't know if that happened to you as a value. <laughs> so, no, no, it, it, it's based on what you saw. So you jump and, and you know, whenever you, ju- if you ever jumped off a high cliff, if you ever realize that I've done it in Israel, it's, it's sort of like you jump and then time sort of like freezes and be like, when am I hitting ground? You know, this is not, this is taking way too long. And then you look down and then there's the impact. And so, but the problem is, is that if you jumping at such a height and you don't know how to jump, it's, it could be very painful. You could break bones, you could break limbs. And you know, this person, you jump in and you, this, the freezes and then suddenly you, uh, you know, you feel the impact and everything in your body starts hurting. It's like your back is in pain. You fell on your head. You know, it's like everything is red, belly flapped right in. And you're, you're sitting in there and they're like, the adrenaline finally kicks in. And you're like, you're looking around the baby, you're, you get it, you swim on top and there's no baby. So you go, you duck, you dive under and you see like in the distance, it's clear waters, you see in the distance and there's a baby like 10 or 50 feet that's slowly drowning. You go and you swim with all your might, you swim in, you swim, you grab the baby and you bring it back up to, uh, back up to the, uh, to the air. You hold it and meanwhile, you know, the, they hold all the screaming, they already brought down, uh, you know, somebody to grab it. You grab some sort of like saving device, whatever they use and you are holded up. Now as you're holded up, you feel, you know, the baby's like coughing, it's still, you know, it took only a few seconds until it got back to, to normal, and you literally saved that baby's life. But the problem is now you're aching in pain, your bones don't look the way that they, they're not bending the way that they should be bending, they're bending the other way, and they send you right away to the infirmary, and you're wallowing in pain, you're, you're in excruciating pain. And for the next for the next 30 days, for the next two months, I'm sorry, the entire trip you're in the infirmary, you're getting healed, you had a broken this, and you had a broken that, and they couldn't ship you over, they, they just kept you in the, on the cruise. For th- for sixty days, for a cruise that you've been waiting for so long, you're just in the infirmary the whole time, and you know halfway through, I'm sure you know signs like what I just do. I, you know, I can't appreciate this. I waited for this for two years. The the cruise ship, the cruise finishes. You saw nothing about the cruise, nothing but the inside of the infirmary wall, the seven foot ceilings, and that was as far as you got. So you're going there, and uh, you know thirty years go by after a few vacations. Somebody comes over to you and be like, "What's your best vacation you ever had? What do you think they're gonna say? Time I go, you know, on cruise to Alaska." It's gonna be the same. You know what the time was? The time when I jumped in, I saved that baby's life. That was my best. That was the that was the best thing that I ever. That, that was the best vacation. And that's a memory that someone's gonna take to the day that he dies. Or you know that it's it's you saved someone. You did something so good. And the idea is when you do something good, you feel good about yourself. Not only that you feel good about yourself, you increase your self esteem. That helps you. It, it helps you emotionally. This is how important it is that, uh, you know, when, when, uh, you help an old lady cross the street, you think you did her a favor. But in fact, she did, did you a favor. You just feel good. You know, it says that when you give to that cop, more that the poor person does for the rich, the poor person does more for the rich person than the rich person does for the poor person. Because even though you're giving him, you're giving him child, like, ah, let's say you give him a lot of money, but he's giving you schut. And beside the schut, you're actually getting that, that, that boost of emotional, emotional health, emotional happiness. So the um, when all said and done, the re- the greatest thing is to do is is and the and it's always comes with the greatest pleasure is to do the right thing. I want to share with you a story. This was a very famous story. I actually read it and I actually heard people say it. 
there was once a woman, this is a true story, uh, um, not that the other one wasn't, but this is more true. So <laughs> the other one was a little bit extra details. But the idea stays the same. There was once a woman that, uh, it's actually a husband and wife, that they, they had a few kids, and one kid, you know, got the, you know, the one of sick. And he got sick, and he tried all the treatments, and they tried, it was a young kid, and, you know, unfortunately, the few, few years they tried, they were fighting for it, and he didn't make it. And this mother, you know, everybody has to go through their grieving process, and this mother just took it to the whole nother level. She, like, she stayed indoors, she did not even, you know, she couldn't, she couldn't even think about anything else. And she was inside the whole time, and after a year passed already, and the husband says, you know, says, listen, we have other kids, you're neglecting the other kids. He says, you know, we, we all suffered through this, but we have to move on, we have to, we, you know, we have to build up again. And she says, how dare you tell me that? She says, I lost my first child. And he says, you tell me it's so easy to just get up again? He says, it's impossible. And every time she saw other people that are happy, she was like, how could you be happy when there's so much, you know, terrible things going on in this world? And she took it a very, and it really tore apart the entire family. So she goes and, uh, uh, you know, a year or two go by and the husband says, listen, this is ridiculous. She's stuck at home all day, depressed in bed, not doing nothing. So... She needed a lot of therapy. So um, she goes and uh, she gets an invitation to a very, very close relative's wedding and uh, from her side. So the husband says, you're going to this wedding. And she says, I'm not going to this wedding. And your husband says, you are going to this wedding. And she says, don't ask me again, I'm not going to this wedding. Right? When a woman puts a finger up and she looks in your face, you stop. <laughs> So he says, fine, okay, no problem. And he says, listen, and he asked her, the, you know, the day of the wedding came, and he asked her to go run out to get some sort of whatever, just something from the local grocery store. So she said, fine, no problem. She ran out, and uh, when she comes home, she, you know, the door is locked. So, you know, she tries all the combination, the keys, the door is locked from, from the inside. So she starts knocking, and she's like, uh, let me in, the door is locked. The husband says, I'm not letting you in. She's like, are you crazy? You lost your mind? She says, what do you mean, not? let me in? She says, I'm not letting you in until you go to the wedding. She's like, you listen here, mister. He's like, you better open this door right now if you know what's good for you. And she starts screaming. He's like, you better, you're gonna open this door right now. And he says, listen, I'm not opening the door right now you're, you're, until you go to, until you go to the wedding. And uh, she says, listen, even if I wanted to go to the wedding, I'm not dressed. I don't have my stuff. He's like, don't worry about it. I took care of it. All your stuff is by your neighbors. So, uh, so she says, she says, you, you told me, you took out stuff for me to wear. How do you know what I'm gonna wear and my makeup and everything like that? He says, don't worry about it. I called your mother. Your mother took care of everything and she put it in there. She's like, uh huh. My mother's in on this also. Okay. I see this. And she, then she starts screaming again. She says, you better open up. I'm not going to this wedding. I can't go to this wedding. And he says, you could scream from today till tomorrow. The one thing that I'm not going to do is I'm not opening up this door until you go to that wedding. So she saw that she wasn't getting anywhere. After all, she did her tantrums. So she went to the neighbor and she got dressed for the wedding. Her mother was sitting there. It was waiting for her. And they, you know, she, she, she drove her to the wedding and says, listen, you know, here's money for a cab. You take a cab back. You have to stay at least a certain amount of time. So she said, fine. She goes into the wedding and she's sitting there and, you know, she gets up there and people are dancing. People are happy. And when she sees all this happiness, she started to get so emotional. She says, how could people be so happy? She says, I lost my child. How can you be so happy? How can you be so selfish? And, and then she starts, she starts crying. Her emotions come out and she starts crying and she feels, you know, she's at a wedding. Hey, you don't cry at a wedding. At least only by the chupa. After that, you know, it's not allowed. So, uh, unless you're a parent, then it's okay. So they, uh, the, he, she goes and she's like, she doesn't know what to do. So she, she runs, she runs out of the out of the wedding hall. She looks around and she sees, you know, in the olden days there was something called payphones. Payphones were places where where you put a quarter in and you would pick it up and you when people didn't have cell phones. She saw a payphone like you know one of those like little uh, boxes, you know, where Superman goes to change. So she goes, she sees that, she goes into that, and she, you know, what people do, you know, pick up the phone like make believe like you're talking to someone, but meanwhile you are just crying. So, so this way no one's going to bother her. I've actually done that when I had to daven mincha or alvit, and you know you're sitting in a public place. This is years ago. When they, I, now I don't see payphones anywhere. But uh, I, you know, I was a young kid and I had to pray, and I was in the middle out, and it was it was getting late. I was going to miss it. So what I did was, I'm like, you can't stand in the middle of the street, you know, take three steps back, go forward, and start, you know, you know, start start praying. So I go and buy the payphone. I pick up the phone. I make a direct call to God, and and we did a, a you know, had a nice conversation. So in any case, the. Um, yeah, I picked up the phone, put it in my hand the whole time. Uh, I'm gonna be talking to the phone without no one there, you know, <laughs> without actually having the the phone in my ear. So, anyways, she goes, she picks up the phone, and she starts crying like she hasn't cried before, and she's crying and crying and crying. And meanwhile, 
you know, she didn't realize it, but, you know, there's, there's certain people that go to the weddings to collect money. So one of the old beggar women that was sitting there, and, and she's like, uh, she goes and, and, you know, she sees this woman crying. So she, you know, takes her walker and makes her way over there. And she t- gives a little tap to her shoulder. And, you know, she, she's like, you know, occupied. You know, she doesn't even turn around. She's like, I, I, I'm still in the middle of this call. And, you know, you can't fool this old, you know, woman. And she's like, she's like, listen, mama, she's like, she's like, is everything okay? And she says, why are you crying? So she says, she turns around and says, why am I crying? She just blew up at her. She's like, you, you don't know what I had to, what I went through. Why am I crying? She says, you know, I lost a child and I'm coming here and I have to see how people are happy and people are laughing and people are this. He says, I am crying. Why do people keep on? And she starts basically venting out there. So why people tell me I shouldn't cry anymore? I need to cry. This is my child. I lost my child. So this old woman goes to her and she says, and, and, cause this woman told her, says, you don't know what it means, it feels like to lose a child. So this old woman goes to her and she says, you know, you know, Madela, you know, a little girl in, in Yiddish. She says, she says, I lost ten children in the Holocaust. He says, I know what you're going through. I know exactly what you're going through. And the people that they tell you not to cry, they're wrong. Cry. You should cry. And you should cry. But don't waste those tears. Those tears are so precious. He says, cry for people that need your help. What's done is done. You, you know, your child, you know, he's in the next world. But there's so many people that they need to wash them out. They need shiduch. They need panasah. They need, they need zivugim. He says, don't waste your tears. Cry. Crying is excellent. But use it for the right thing. Use it for the right thing. Start crying for other people. And she thought about that. And she's like, you know what? That, that's pretty, you know, okay, let me do that. So she starts, she gets back on the payphone and she starts crying. And she starts crying and she cries for her neighbor that needs, that needs panasada. She knows that she has a very hard time with the money. Then she cries for a family member that needs a shidduch. Then she cries somebody who's very sick and she took that very personally. She put all her tefillah, she started praying to God and says, God, please, please make these people better. She cried until she felt she had no more tears. And for the first time that since she lost her child, she felt good after she cried. She's like, I, oh, I, f- I feel good. You know, I feel, like, and she, yeah, she, I feel meaningful. She goes, she wipes away the tears, and she makes her way up to the dance floor. And she danced that night like she's never danced before. She was the happiest she was ever since that happened at that night. Why? What changed? The change was that she took her tears and she used it for somebody else. It's so important. There's so, there's so much that you could do for other people. And when you do that, you grow so much. You help yourself so much more. The idea is so is so important and so strong that this is why I tell for women all the time. For women have a very at least many women have a very easy time crying. They're very easy time crying, and I think that use it for your power. Use it for your power. There's a woman that sees a cartoon and she's crying. You know, there's like literally a little kid that goes falls down, takes a lollipop, and mommy comes and says all the things, and they're sitting there blowing their noses. You know, and, and you know, you ever see like, guys, are you, are you, what? Are you, is everything okay? Are you serious? Like, what's going on? And women just like, well, you know, they'll see, they'll, here's a better example. You see an old man and woman holding hands and giving her roses. Tears. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, People, but but it, you have a power. You have tears, and it's very easy. People waste tears on Disney. I always say, it, stop wasting tears on these stupid cartoons. You have the ability to bring out tears. Bring it. Pray. If you don't want to pray, you don't have anything. Bohush and pray for yourself. Pray for other people. There's so much that you can accomplish with your tears. Your tears are so spe- special. That's why it says the prayers of women can break break the heavens because they have the ability to, to tears. Men, even if they want to try to cry, even if they need to cry, they know I'm a man. grunts. So. The idea is you could accomplish so much, and when you accomplish, when you do good for other people, you feel so much better about yourself. Can I ask you something? Sure. First example, if the guy wasn't able, he didn't know his way, he should have still jumped? If he didn't, there's no, you're not required to put yourself in danger, especially life risk, to, for possibility of saving somebody else. be able to save him. Then there's no point. No, if a person, so it's an interesting question. Maybe we should do that topic once. It's a question of uh, if you're, if you're, are you cry, required? Because it's, it's actually, I have a whole th- a series. I have a whole thing on it. It's, uh, it's actually under my, my, the title of this class is Laws of Murder, <laughs> is why I speak about this thing. But the, there, there are certain times where, where, you know, are you required to hurt yourself? Yeah, so it's, it's, usually you don't have to, no. The short answer is no. Um, you don't, you don't, you know, first of all, you might not help. You're gonna go and then there's gonna be two people now to be, that needs to be helped. In fact, sometimes you can do more help by calling more people, helping, uh, you know, others. So, hopefully we should never get into that situation. You know, it's a, it's a very situation. Nobody wants to be a part of it. Like it says, you know, and like, you know, I've heard this from our official chapter also, and I say to myself, I like to say stories. I don't like to be in stories. <laughs> you know, so all right. So the the idea is like, this. oh, we're up to number seven. Number seven, uh, we're we're speaking uh, of ways to increase your self esteem. Number seven is to be kinder towards other people. Now, again, this is going against the same line. When you're kinder to other people, you're sort of kinder to yourself also, and not so self. 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, absorbed. No, not absorbed. Like you're very, very. Um, yeah, not like selfish, but you look at yourself in a very negative way. I forgot it. the word is uh, whatever. Critical. Thank you. Very critical about yourself. <laughs> okay, that was number seven. Number eight is that a person has to realize that you need to be, you are where you need to be. That's this, this story from the Gemara in Sanhedrin, page 101a. It was Rabbi Eliezer. He felt ill and he was sick. He was on his deathbed, and you know his students wanted to come, and he was he was he was saddened. He was he couldn't do what he used to be able to do. So he goes over to his. Uh, um, so his students come over to him and try to cheer him up. So one student goes and it says, "Listen, says you know, Rabbi says Rabbi, you are greater to us than a father and a mother because a father and a mother bring us into this world, but you brought us into the next world." Ignored him completely. Like, oh, no. The next person says, okay, you know, says, you know what? You know, the right next, next student comes and says, Rabbi, he says, you're so great to us. You're greater to us than the sun. The sun only helps in this world, but you helped us in the, in, to get into the next world. Then face him. A third student came and says, Rabbi, you're greater to us for, than rain. And, you know, just like, you know, rain only helps in this world, you bring us to the next world. You help us in the next world. Didn't do anything. Then Rabbi Akiva comes and he says, he says, uh, he says like this, he says, suffering can be precious. First of all, not something that you ordinarily would tell a person who is suffering. You know, suffering is good for you. Like, yeah, you want to switch places? Yeah, well, suffering is good for you. You keep this up. But he goes, he says, suffering is precious. Because the Chachamim say, you know, think a little bit differently than, or a lot differently than the regular common people. He says, suffering, and Eliezer says, he all of a sudden, he ignored the other people. He stood up and he says, come here, Rabbi, come here, I keep up my child. What do you mean by that? He says, no, you're telling me something that I could use. So he, what was I, what was Rabbi Akiva saying? Rabbi Akiva is saying, you know, that Rabbi Lazar, he valued life. He valued life so much that he always wanted to accomplish. He went, he was able to learn, he learned. He was able to teach, he taught. He did everything, but now he's stuck in his bed, he can't do anything. He's like, he's like, I feel not accomplished. Rabbi Akiva comes and says, and he says, no, no, no. He says, you are able, your person has to maximize their spiritual abilities for whatever the, the, their, their current situation allows them for. He says, when you had the ability to teach, you taught. When you have, now that you don't have the ability to teach, so you're doing the best that you can do for God. You're maximizing your spiritual ability for the best that you can do. And that's why he says, you know what, that, that's what I need to hear. That's what I hear, that even someone who's sick and suffering can't accomplish a lot, but that's where you need to be. And when you realize that that's where you need to be, you sort of, you know, like, okay, that, that's, a, that's a little better. Now, people have very high aspirations and goals in life, and they want to accomplish a lot, and they get very, very depressed. Uh, lower their self-esteem or whatever, all the other negative characters when they don't accomplish that. But the person has to realize that you are where you're supposed to be. Not that saying that you shouldn't go and try to work on yourself and, and getting gaining those goals. But the idea is is that wherever you are right now, you are supposed to be there right now. And when you learn to internalize that and realize that, you'll be like, all right, life's pretty good. I am where I'm supposed to be. This is, you know, like, uh, it's very common in, in uh, you know, that there's a postpartum, de- uh, postpartum depression. Where after after a woman gives it's postpartum depression, right? It was after a woman gives birth, uh, she gets depressed. Now, one of the reasons besides the figure and and everything else that, that goes you know out of out of whack, the the idea is it postpartum depression. They feel it. Yeah, it's very dangerous to the child also. Yeah, because because they they could actually you know subcon- like abuse it. Be like you know because of you you know I can't you know. But um, the the idea is it goes even further when they're sitting there. They don't feel accomplished. You're sitting over there. You're nursing a baby. Your husband leaves for work at eight o'clock. Your husband comes home a few hours later. You're still nursing the baby. You're still in the same spot. Nothing has changed. The house looks exactly the same. You're like, I just I just did nothing the whole day, and you get depressed. I'm like, what did I accomplish? I did nothing. And a smart husband will say, he says, no, you did everything. He says you did what you're supposed to be. You're being a mommy. And I'm, you're, that, that is something. And people don't realize that, that being a mother is something. It means something. And in fact, how important are mothers is, is so amazing. You look in the Torah, in Shemot, in, in Exodus, chapter 19, verse 3. It says when, when Moshe, uh, came down, uh, was, uh, after he spoke to God, and he, and he said like this, this is what Hashem told him. Hashem told him, He says, this is what you should say to the house of Yaakov and to the, the Bnei Israel. Says Rashi explains, says, Bet Yaakov is referring to the woman. Bnei, uh, and, and, uh, Bnei Israel is referring to the men. Who is there to say first? Who did God say you should speak to first? It says, first speak to the woman. First speak to the woman, and then speak to the men. And the idea is that the people don't realize the importance of a Jewish mother. A Jew, you realize that you're the, the child that you're bringing up, the, the entire, the Torah values, the, the, you know, the customs, the laws, everything comes from the mother. The mother spends the most time in the beginning with the child. If a mother, if, if, a, if a mother that doesn't realize their importance is not gonna, is not gonna be able to communicate that, that, that's so, that's, that's the future of the, of Judaism, basically lies in the, in the mother. The mother, and this is why I say all the time there are people, 
about Shuva. So they're coming back. So you think as women, I don't have to learn so much or whatever. I have to know the basics. But the idea is, is that no, you're about to write. Yeah, you have to learn. You have to learn. What, what are you going to tell when your child comes home and they want to read and you know and they want to and they want to help with this and they want to help with that and you don't know anything. A, per, a mother has to always have to, have to be on top of the ba- at least the, the the besides the basics, a little bit above the basics, so she can help the children and, and increase them, and bring them to the point where they need to be. The um and and look at look how important that that you know as a woman a person has to feel you know high self high self esteem. God put you before the men. God put you before the men. I like, uh-huh, know, you know, not you know, like he put you. You should appreciate that. So number nine, okay, number nine is okay. The um, people think you know that uh, you know if what's the point of even starting something if I'm not going to be able to finish it? What's the point? I'm not going to be able to finish it. I'm done with it. And the idea is, as I heard this this, this amazing uh, you know idea once, they, they went to a rock climber and they said, you know, how do you climb a rock? It, rock climbers, I'm not talking about you go to these boulders, you know, climbing, you know, you know things. You know, you, know, you could go for like a fun Sunday afternoon. I'm talking about rock climbers where you see a wall that's straight with like little nooks, and there's our rock climbers. They literally put their fingernails in there, and that's how they climb up. And they say, look, how do you do that? How is it possible that you do that? So he says, it's so high. How do you look and you don't get you know discouraged? So he says, uh, he says very simple. He says, when I put my finger in one place and my foot in another place. I don't look to the top to see where I need to get to. I look at where the next place I'm going to put my finger and where the next place I'm going to put my foot. I go one step at a time. And that's how a person's supposed to do to accomplish their goals in life. You go one step at a time. You don't look, okay, if I'm not going to get it over there, there's no point, I'm not going to try it. The idea is you do one small step at a time. This, number 10, is a very, very important idea, is you should complete something. Everybody should complete something. It could be a book, it could be a sefer, it could be a series of something. I'm not just saying to sit through a one-hour class. I'm saying that the idea is complete something that will be like, you know, I finished that. That's very good. And I'm not talking about the Harry Potter series. I'm talking about something more significant that, that would actually, you know, do some uh, uh, benefit for you. The, the um, in fact... This is why, if you ever realize, where do we see this in Torah? If you have, let's say you have $100, and you have two options. You could give $100 to one organization, or you could give $1 to 100 different people. What do you think is the right thing to do? Uh, $100 to $1? $1 to a bunch of different people. Why? Because every time you give, you're changing yourself. You're, you're, you're making yourself, you're, you're, you're actually, you're, you're doing something. So it's, it's better. These small little things are actually more beneficial than the big one, big uh, whammy. And this is why, if you ever heard of, uh, there's a famous uh, corporate coach by the name of Stephen uh, Cabe. He is very famous, wrote a bunch of books, uh, bestsellers. He has something called smart goals, right? He calls it dreams with deadlines. And the smart goals is, is a person should make goals. And what is a smart goal? S is for specific. M is for measurable. A is for attainable, R is for realistic, and T is for time-bound. You make a goal that you could accomplish, that you could see, that you could, you could reach. You don't make a goal that's improbable, un, very unlikely, because then you're never going to reach it, and you're just going to shoot yourself down. Do for something that you're able to accomplish for. And this is why, you know, like, at least an aspect of the, for the men, for learning Torah, they say, you know, I have many people, I'll be like, I'm going to go to Israel, and become a rabbi, I'm going to learn the whole Torah. I'll be like, listen, you know, start with 20 minutes a day. Let's do with that. You know, when the people shoot for that, they, in fact, it says in Hillel, in Balkei Avot, it says, uh, it says, which means this, don't say when I'll have time, I'll learn. You know, I'll, I'll learn to lie when I have time. Because maybe you'll never have time. The idea is you make, you make a study, study time. Every single day, you learn. You learn, you, you spend uh, 20 minutes a day, and you learn. And, and for women, it's also very important. You don't have to go and open up a set You could listen to a lecture. Listen to a lecture. It, with the more connected that you are to God, the more spiritual you're going to be. Number 11. We have a few minutes, right? Okay. So, um, 915, right? We're good? Okay. So, so I didn't even start the children one. Okay, I have to, let, let me let me start. Let me speed up a little bit. Um, uh, this we spoke about before. Number twelve, uh, number eleven. I'm sorry. Let me let me go through. I'm, I'm, I was actually going to skip something. Uh, number eleven is um, when you prev- when you don't do something bad, feel good about that. When you did not sin, basically, you'd be like, okay, you know, I didn't do that. I wanted to wear this immodest thing, and I didn't. Feel good. You just did a mitzvah. You just accomplished something. Number twelve is we spoke about this plenty of times. Do not compare yourself to others. And I saw this, uh, you know, uh, this um, this this line. It says, "I have Facebook friends, therefore I am." Which is very true. There are people who will be like, I have 3,000 Facebook friends. I'll be like, wow, you have 3,000? I only have 300. Oh man, I guess I'm worth nothing. And, uh, but, but the idea is, and this is, this is, I want to even share with you a better line. This is Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kutsk said like this. Focus on this for a second. Listen to this. If I am because you are you, and you are you because I am I, then I am not I and you are not you. However, if I am because I am, and you are because you are, then I am indeed I, and you are indeed you. That's like, indeed, that's, that's amazing. Which means this, you know how people, you know how people, you know, act? How are other people going to see me? 
There are some people, you know why they won't stand up to other people? Let's say they're saying Lashon Allah. You know why they won't say Lashon Allah? They're like, oh, come on, everyone's going to look at me. It's going to be embarrassing. It's not going to be... It. People look and they, they they act the way other people are going to perceive them. They don't do certain things because they see how other people perceive them. So they live their life not the way that they actually want to, but the way that other people are going to perceive them. So, uh, and this is also the idea that, um, you know, this, we can move it on to basically to, to number 13, is, is to guard your eyes. Guard your eyes is for men and for women. Guard your eyes also means, in fact, the jealousy. Don't start looking at people... What? Just for that last thing. Oh, really? There's, um, oh, very good. Uh, that's a good, that's a very good, uh, mm-hmm. It's on Snoot, right? So, so, so very important, very important that, uh, that women read about Snoot. I think it's very important. Very, uh, nowadays in A's, it's, it's, uh, it's overlooked. And, and a lot of rabbis don't speak about it. I even, I once went over to a rabbi. I don't recall. Uh, I don't recall. Yeah, they're everywhere. Uh, they're yeah, everywhere. everywhere. You can buy it on Amazon also. Um, it's called Daughters of Dignity. So the uh, the um, what was I saying? Oh, the rabbis don't say. Thank you. The rabbis don't speak about. Ma- and in fact, one time, um, and I think I've said this before. I once went over to a rabbi, and he was saying, "So what are you speaking tonight?" I was speaking to a men's class. I was speaking about wasting seed. He started laughing at me. He says, one thing that you have to learn is for men, you don't speak about that topic. For women, you don't speak about wasting seed. And I'm like, thank you. That's exactly what I'm going to speak about by men. And that's exactly what I'm going to speak about for women. That's what I mean. That's because people, why, why people do it? Because people can't handle it. Some people can't handle it. They, they speak about, about modesty. That's it. They don't come to the class anymore. They're, they're, they're done. They speak about wasting seed. They don't, they don't want to hear about it. But the idea is it's still, it's still a halakha. It's still a requirement. And is it's still a requirement. I work for one person and one person only. And that's God. God says, this is in Torah. This is what's going to be presented. So okay, so now the um, that, so the idea is 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 uh, we spoke before is also don't look at other people, and which is also very smart to sign off all social media if that's all possible and you'll be surviving the next day without going into into uh, you know shock and you know in the emergency room. I strongly recommend it. Number uh, fourteen is to be grateful. It is so important to be grateful. And in fact, I've said this before when we spoke about happiness. A person should every day. Say thank you for five things. You have five fingers, even the silliest things. Thank you for clothes. Thank you for food. Thank you for shelter. Thank you. Just once you start being grateful, you start appreciating more. Once you start appreciating more, you're 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 boosting your self-esteem. Number fifteen. This is one word. Exercise. This is proven scientifically again and again that exercise increases your mood, boosts your self-esteem, it boosts everything. It's so important. Everything from A to Z. Exercise is extremely important. Sixteen. Exercise in a kosher place. Everything here talks about kosher. There's no, there's no way that you could say that, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, you're gonna do something good, but it's gonna come through a sin. Where do you live? So. What are you? Well, yeah. Far from here or no? We see this in Torah many times. We see Noah did it, Abraham did it, Sarah did it, Yaakov did it. They all, they all moved away from people that were toxic to them. You look at Noah, he had to separate himself from the degenerate people around him. Abraham had to separate, not only did he move out of his birthplace, he also has to separate from his nephew Lot. After that, we have, uh, what do we say? We said Sarah. Sarah had to separate herself from Hagar and Ishmael because she saw it was affecting her, the, the Yitzhak. Yaakov, he had to separate from Lavan. So we see over here that, that, you know, if someone's not good for you, especially in the spiritual aspect, cut it off. Leave. Don't, you know, but they need me. They're going to, they don't need you. Okay, you need you and, and you have to make sure if someone's bringing you down, you go stay away from it. The, and in fact, this is very important. Research shows that the pre, that people in the presence of nasty people, that the, there's something called T killer cells, which fight off uh, viruses and bacterial infections, are weakened when you are around these types of people. Your immunity literally goes down, and and you're more you're more you're more able to get uh, sicker, uh, especially in um, you know autoimmune diseases. And in fact, listen to the, and besides the fact, yeah, in fact, inside the fact that it could also leave people with uh, with something called PTSD, uh, post traumatic stress disorder. Uh, the, and this is even more important, that pregnant women that who live or work with hostile people are more likely to have babies with weakened immune system, lower iron levels, and a higher incidence of ADHD. This is like the, the, the from their, uh, yeah, so, so it's, it's not good to be at these people. The problem is, is that what happens if your spouse is that? What happens if your spouse is that? So that's something that has to be talked about. It has to be, yeah, it has to be talked, it has to be worked on. Shouldn't be, shouldn't be on anybody. Should all have an amazing spouses. And, and if you're married already, you should have, you know, they should turn to be amazing spouses. So, but, but, the, and by the way, anybody can change. They have to want to change. But if it's something that you see, you have to go and work on it. You have to work on it together somehow, you know, speak to somebody able to, to, to help that. The, um, uh, okay, let's move on. We're, we're running out of time. Uh, 18, a very, another simple thing. You have to make sure you get enough self, sleep. You have to sleep enough. If you're if you're working on like two hours and those five hour energy drinks, if they're kosher, I don't know if they are, and like caffeine and. and you're still on a class. 
Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> What's the topic tonight? <laughs> okay, good. Baruch Hashem. So, so, you know, when you're not here, I try to incorporate some nutrition. But, like, I know anything. I don't know the difference between saturated fat and fat. Uh, nor, uh, okay, so now, the um, where are we? Number 19 is very simple. Smile. Smile. It works. It helps. It's good. And number 20 is surround yourself with, with uh, um, supportive people. Okay. The, that's what we finished. And the next thing that we have is, is we have, um, I have some things for children to increase the, the child's self-esteem. But I have to ask for permission because it's going to be at least five or seven minutes. So if you want, we could do it next week. Is you want? We could do it next week. Okay, so, uh, oh, yeah. okay, so let, let, I'll try to go fast because it's on the same topic. It's, it's a uh, over here. Uh, so uh, it's, it's on the same topic, so I'll rather just finish it. I'll try to go uh, um, a, a, a little bit on the faster side. So... Try to listen. Oh, we'll speak fast. When, when the, uh, children feel good about themselves, it's so important for a child to have self-esteem. By the way, we're going to go through things that are, that are supposed to boost the child's self-esteem, but at the same time, you could use any of these tactics to boost a, a spouse, a, a friend, a relative, whatever it is. Now, why do kids need self-esteem? Number one is they, people, kids with low self-esteem are very, they're unsure of themselves. Number two is that they think others won't accept them. Number three is that they'll, they'll allow themselves to be treated poorly. They, they, you know, okay, I'm, I, don't need, I don't deserve to be treated better. And number four is they, they'll have a very hard time standing up for themselves if they do need to stand up for themselves. Number five, they'll avoid challenges. If challenges come, they'll be like, you know, I, I can't do it. Number six is that they'll give up easily. And number seven is that they'll be unable to bounce back from, from mistakes. They'll, they'll, they'll suffer it. So it's obviously very important. Let's go through a few things that actually can boost your child's uh, self-esteem. Number one is... The most important thing is work on your own self-esteem. If you don't have good self-esteem, you can't go try to make somebody else's self-esteem better. A person has to, the child's can, they, they, they're, they're very perceptive, at least in the subconscious, you know, where they, if you're not, if you're not showing that you have a high self-esteem, they will be able to see that and they're not, you're not going to be able to boost their self-esteem. So, that's number one. Number two is validate your child. Now, this is a very dangerous thing because people take it to another thing. Val- validation over here, and, this, and the new age science is like, well, you didn't validate me. You know, like you know, like people take it very emotionally. You know, like you know, this is you know, it's not like please put a quarter here. You validated, or you know, you know, parking meter. What's a validation? The idea is behind it is, but it, it is important. It has to be a person has to be validated, but it can't go at, at, to this at the same time. You're a parent, and you learn have to learn how to say no to your child. It is a very very important to say no. And in fact, if you don't say no, it could actually hurt the child's self-esteem in the long run. And uh, kids need to hear that. Kids need to hear rebuke. Kids need to hear, hear the criticism and it comes in a loving and respectful manner. In fact, there was once a woman that was uh, sitting in the playground with her son and she sees another child walking around with like they found some sort of you know kids they find some sort of stick with like nails coming out you know like you know definitely rusty you know big letters HIV you know like you know it's like a really dangerous thing and this kid's like swinging it around like kids do and a mother sees that you know her child's right there so she runs over and she grabs her child and she she, she starts so whose child is this you know come collect your you know and uh, she's one woman goes over there and says oh it's my child says can you tell him not to swing that he's going to hurt somebody and she goes to him she says I would never tell that to him in public. I would not validate him. You know, I tell that to him in public. When I get home tonight, I'll speak to him. And she looks like she's crazy. And she's like, you know what, forget it. I'm going home. He's like, this woman's crazy. She doesn't want to tell no to her child. So she calls, she goes home. She has a friend who's a psychologist. She calls up the friend. She says, listen, am I crazy? Was I wrong? Did she, well, she should have said that. So the psychologist started laughing. She says, you know, people are very into this pop psychology nowadays. You know, they go online and they, you know, like, www. you know like best things to do for your child child psychology. com you know written by a twelve year old girl and they're sitting over there be like oh I should do these things and meanwhile you know and they start listening to these things and they act out child has to be validated he says it's very important for a child to be able to you tell the child no when it, when you're when you're able to tell no and you always have to rebuke it obviously in the right way number three is so important to show love and affection to your child. Even as a, as a baby, when you show a baby love and affection, it grows subconsciously feeling that, that he or she is worthy about something. Number four is to compliment your child. Give it as often as possible. You know, I'm very proud of you. You're so special. You're amazing. Now, this obviously has to be very credible. You can be like, you're the best person in the whole world. Like, I am the best person in the whole world. You know, like, you're the best person I ever lived. You know, and like you know, it could affect the relationship with his friend because first of all, he'll be like, "What are you doing? I'm the best person ever." And, the, and it's so much so that in the long run, it's going to when their friends be like, "No, you're not." Be like, "My mother said it was everything you said was a lie." You know, and it will just bring it down to the lower self esteem. And this is also very important. And the same topic is don't overpraise. You know, when you're when you're overpraising, you're sort of lowering the bar for them. You'd be like, 
You know, like, uh, you know, the child, you know, you know, drew like a, you know, stick figure. You'd be like, well, that is artistic, that's amazing, that's the best thing, that's good. But when they're coming in their eighth grade and they're drawing stick figures, don't be like, that's amazing, that's great, that's good. Maybe don't draw, you know? Like, let's pick about a different hobby. You know, because then they'll think like, okay, the bar is so low for them, they're expecting everything to be, you know, that they're supposed to ace everything. Then they come into the real world, and then what, they're going to be stuck with, uh, you know, a harsh reality. Number five. No, wow. Well, how's time go so fast? All right. Alright, almost done. One more page. Number five is set goals for your child. You have to set goals for your child. When you set goals for your child, and again, it has to be the same thing, it has to be attainable. Can't tell your child, okay, I want you to climb up the wall, do a black flip, and then, you know, and then we'll, we'll talk about, you know, going to ballet. You do something that's, that's, that's attainable, that's, that's achievable. Number six, when you have to criticize your child, or criticize a person, you criticize the action, not the person. A lot of things I'm not going to be able to explain it, so we'll just uh, go on and try to uh, use your imagination. Number seven, it is very important to be proud of your child. Be proud of it. And so much so is that say how proud you are of the child in front of other people that the child's important to. And this is also important for a spouse. You see his spouse's friend, it'll be like, oh, yeah, my husband is such a good fixer, man. Meanwhile, you know, the guy doesn't know what a drill is. You know, and he, you know, he looks at the screwdriver, he doesn't know the difference between a Phillips head and a flathead. You know, he doesn't know anything about anything. He's like, what's a screw? You know how to turn it in. But you say, you give him praises in front of other people. And the same thing goes for the men watching for the online, for, for, for your wife. You know, you compliment her. You're, she's, the, oh, you gotta chase her cooking. It's the best cooking ever. Right? But never invite them because you know your wife's cooking is disastrous and it's just poison. <laughs> but you compliment them because it's important to compliment them in front of other people because it boosts their, their self-esteem. Number, where are we up to? Number eight. No, number nine. Never ever compare your child to other people. This is ten times more. How come you not like Johnny? You know, do never, ever, ever, ever do this to your spouse. You know, Sharon's husband takes me out every, takes her out every week. That would be bad if she takes him out every week. Sharon's husband takes, takes she, she takes her husband out every week. Why are you not more like Sharon's husband? Because that, that is a recipe for the disaster. Because then he's going to be like, well, if you be more like Sharon, maybe I'll be more like her husband. You know, oh, shalom by 101. Okay, but the idea is never compare some, your spouse or a child or anybody else to anybody else. Everybody is their own person. Number 10. I'm probably skipping this. Don't use sarcasm for children. They don't get it. I've tried it. They don't understand sarcasm. You know, like, I'll take away all your toys. I won't have any toys. Be like, I'm going to throw them all in the garbage. All of it? And they, they think they're waking up with no toys. You know, so the idea is don't use sarcasm. And uh, set two more. Eleven is so important to spend one-on-one time with your child. This is obviously more important with your spouse. Spend one. I have my brother-in-law in Israel. They, he doesn't have time. Once a month, he takes out each child on a one-on-one like date. He takes a little, it could be a teenager, girl. They go out on a, on a date. They go out to lunch. They go do that. So he told me that. So I decided, you know what? I want to try it. I have a little, uh, you know, my, my daughter. So I decided, you know what? We're going out on a, on a, we called it Abba and Aviva Day. My daughter's name is Aviva. So we went and, you know, went for ice cream. And then we went for, you know, a scootering. And we did that. For the next, like, six months, she kept on asking me. Well, we did it again. But I'm saying she kept Oh, we do it every day. You're like, okay, whatever. I went, went for ice cream. It was like two hours. You don't even think about it. The, the, she takes it like that was the best. She's like, oh, remember? She comes when she wants. It's like, remember? Remember when we had that Abba Naviva day? Remember that? And you know, she started like hinting it. It's so important for a child. It's also so very important for a spouse. A spouse needs to have a, a one-on-one time. And the last one is make sure the child accomplish things in life. They make sure they're, if they don't accomplish anything, do them, like, you know, the same idea with goals, you know, like, like, make them, make them clean up something and be like, you know, like, the charts and the whole idea, those are great things. Anyways, I'm out of time. Chazakabul, thank you, and I'm sorry for going overboard. All right. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.